Many people say that music is a universal language. If that's the case, I would like to use music as a platform to talk about health. My name is Dr. Moshe Lewis, and I'm a full-time practicing physician who loves music and the way it affects our brains, our bodies, and our well-being. We'll be discussing topics that affect all of us, from mental health to body image, cancer screening to stroke. Our health is truly our greatest asset. Hopefully, these discussions will improve the health of our community. Welcome to Music and Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Moshe Lewis. I'm excited and delighted to be here with Bill Myers. He is a musician, orchestrator, arranger, producer. He has worked with everybody, from Lou Rawls to Brian McKnight, Madonna to Ariana Grande, Justin Timberlake, the list goes on and on, Michael Jackson. We could go on for days, but we are so delighted to be here and have the pleasure to be able to meet with you. Thank you. Um, I want to just look back in time and just start. I know you grew up in a big city playing the organ of all things. That's not a typical instrument for a young no, person. No, um, I started out as a child. I was, I was born for it. Right, okay, and we did uh, have that. No, honestly, I, I um, uh, my parents bought an organ. They were watching Lawrence Welk, okay. and no one played sure. the thing. It just sat there. Sure, okay. okay. And a woman moved in uh -huh. uh, in my neighborhood. And they said, why don't you take lessons? Sure. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was kind of getting in trouble at school. Right, okay. Um, uh, before a psychologist made a ton of money off ADHD mm -hmm. medication, <laughs> right, right. they said I was hyperactive and okay. I was a class clown. I was getting in trouble. Right. Sure. And they, and, and they tested me mm -hmm. at University of Chicago. And they said, he's got a real high IQ, and here's mm. what we want you to do. Mm. We want you to find things that he can excel at. Right. Apart from school. Right. And push him to do it. And then you're going to find that as he does that and learns how to discipline himself in those endeavors, right. his schoolwork will get better. And that's it helped. Right. Well, there's a medical story right there. I mean, within not even realizing it, that's exactly something today that's done with autism and, and even kids with ADHD. Did you yourself, I don't know if you would be this insightful, but realize that the music was sort of helping to calm you, but also allow your talents? So. No, uh -huh. no, I, no. I uh, was a bit of a class clown right. and I wasn't applying myself. And uh, and so, but my parents were wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they they backed when they saw I had talent. My dad was mm -hmm. an amazing athlete, yeah. and uh, and I ended up being pretty fast and, and pretty good. So I, I actually they pushed me. I love basketball, but I was too small. But mm -hmm. I, but I got pretty good at tennis, and I actually mm -hmm. had a coach, and I won a couple city tournaments. So right. that was going on, and then the music started. Mm -hmm. And my dad used to like family board games, but he also was a, a veteran of World War II. Right. And so he kind of gave me a love of military history, and he would uh, let me purchase board games and, and learn the rules and teach him. Mm, and and that, that really locked in mm -hmm. preparing in tests and, and other things like that, you know? Right. So all, all that stuff, I think, helped me. Right. Helped move me forward. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, the organ. Uh, this woman, uh, you know, I thought she was going to teach me skaters, waltz, or something. Right, something really slow. Immediately got me into classical music, and I right. fell in love with it. It was, it was mm -hmm. tremendous. It was Bach and you know right. those kind of composers, um, and it kind of, it, it, it oh, how can I put this? It, it not ruined me, but mm -hmm. spoiled me. And that pop music sounded like garbage to me mm -hmm. for a little while, right? Because I was playing this really highly organized music, right? You know? And did you think it was because it's so uh, either you move around a lot, you've got footwork and you've got hand work going on all the well, same that's time? That's very important. That's mm -hmm. a, yeah, I was going to get to that because um, as a piano player, people are using both hands, right. okay, and they're they're fluid up and down the keyboard. But um, I think why I became an arranger and an orchestrator is um, I had a good sense of rhythm. Right. And, and uh, you've got pedals moving independently and different right. keys right. and parts going. You're doing and it, it, it lends itself eventually to see how movement is necessary. Right. You know? And I think you think differently than grabbing something, big mm. chords. Right. Don't stay stationary. It, it's mm -hmm. linear. Right, right. It's much more linear. Right. And, and so when I went to school, I went on a scholarship, and it was a major in organ. And by my second year, I was like, mm, I don't want to play in church. I mean, right, right, church. right. I, I started playing in clubs. I got a Hammond B3. Right. And I, here's another thing. I grew up in a lily white suburb. I didn't know a single person of color. Right. And the first person I met when I went to college uh, became one of my best friends and still is today. His name is Paul Wilson. Mm -hmm. And he got me into jazz. Mm. I, I fell in love with Oscar Peterson. Right. And uh, it was a great blues town and an R&B town. And 
you know, uh, it just, just my, my, my ability to, to comprehend other styles grew. Right, exponentially. And so my, so my, my, my major changed. You right. Know? Like I, then I became an orchestration major. Right. And then what was that big break? What was that moment where you were realizing, gosh, I'm performing with so-and-so and this is, yeah, I'm my, on my, my way. My first big break came, and again, really lucky for this. I was in my junior year, headed in my senior year. And I, I, um, I'd listened to, uh, you know, radio, and, and, and I'd heard this singer that was quite good, Gino Vanelli, had a great mm -hmm. voice. Right. Uh, and it just so happened one night I was playing at a club and they had a dance review. Right. And there was a guy in the background and he was playing guitar. And it sounded really good. And I mm. come up and I go, hey, brother, that, that's, that sounds really good. And he says, yeah, I hear you. You're, you sound good, too. And it was Ross, his brother. Mm. We wrote a few songs. Right. I, got, I made some demo tapes. Right. Uh, I got a guy to back me. He really liked what I was doing. Right. And next thing I knew, I get a call. I got 16 hours left to finish DePaul University. Right. And it's Gino. And right. he's heard my demo tape. Mm -hmm. This is amazingly uh, right. right on time. Right. It, it broke my mom's heart because sure. uh, he called me from the 76 Olympics. Wow. And he, he got in a fight with his band and fired them all. And he heard my tape and <laughs> okay. said, fly up here. Wow. And, then I and where were they job. at that time? Just to remind people, 76? What city? Um, in Montreal. Right. At the Olympics. Right. And Gino was from Montreal. Right. Okay. okay. So his band really kind of screwed him but mm. they were they had desperately wanted a raise right you know and they, they weren't making very much and sure. the, the weird thing i found out is i had gotten paid almost double of them mm. could have kept his band really right you know. if he was willing but i got this break break and i, mm -hmm. I remember calling my mom and there was a silence on the phone man I'm, right. gonna, I'm gonna do a world tour and i'm gonna do a record and right. i'm doing this and, and then i hear sure you're not gonna get your degree right. you know? and i'm like it's a liberal arts degree. Sure, but it doesn't mean anything. You know, I could put right. it in my birdcage. <laughs> so that began my journey. Sure. You know, I learned a lot from them. Their work ethic mm -hmm. was off the charts. The the sonority and the uh, uh, live sound was incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, and it got me out to L.A. because A&M was the parent company. Right. And then I went back, and I this gentleman, his name was Jerry Wolf. Um, had some money, was a pretty wealthy accountant, but he liked what he heard, mm -hmm. and he fronted me for, for some album, yeah, mm -hmm. some, some extra cuts. Right, thanks for and, and I made five songs, and fortunately, all five got placed with artists eventually. Right, right. And who were some of the big artists that you worked with just those early years? Um, well, I went from that, because mm -hmm. Gino, unfortunately, uh, had had to take a hiatus, and I worked with Lou Rawls for a minute. Mm -hmm. And then while working with Lou Rawls, my demo tape was out, right. and Jerry found out that one of Maurice White's uh, uh, siblings mm -hmm. worked at, at, a, at a, a recording studio and got him the tape. Wow. And they, they loved two of the songs. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mentioned to you how, how uh, much I... I Respected and loved my parents and my dad, right. the finest man I ever knew. And he always said, "Your word is your bond. Mm. Your word is your bond." Right. And boy, has that messed me up. <laughs> Something today that I don't know if the kids know exactly what that means. But. So when I got out there, I, I, I met Harvey Mason, who was uh, on the lot and heard sure. us rehearsing. And, and uh, um, anyhow, the tape got to him, mm -hmm. and he loved a song I had called "Here Today and Gone Tomorrow," mm. and it would. Featured him on drums and my heroes, uh, Stanley Clark played bass, right. uh, Lee Rittenauer on guitar, Bill Chaplin singing. Um, he says, man, I'll let you do the string horn original, let you play solos on it. And, and then I get a call from Maurice White. Wow. And he likes to Himself. play the songs and wants to write with me. Right. Wow. And they're, they're doing I Am. They're at the peak of their, you know, the height of their, 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 uh, 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 experience, you know, with the crowd selling, selling out, and, right. and you know, I am went almost quadruple platinum. Right. So um, I get to meet David Foster for the first time in the right. studio. You know, and I write with Maurice. We write a song called "Can't Let Go." Okay. Uh, I wrote a song with Ross mm -hmm. Vanelli called right. "Where Do We Go From Here." They cut that for Philip. Right. And that's an interesting story because they mm -hmm. held it and they held it and they held it and I thought, well, I got two. <laughs> right, it's coming, it's and coming. David comes to me one day and Maurice and they go, we love Here They Go on Tomorrow. We might want to start the record with that. Mm -hmm. And I go, wow. That would be a dream come true. I gave that to Harvey. Ah, uh, okay. I remember calling my dad that night and he just listened to me and he just looked and he said, well, did you give him your word? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yes, I did. Right. He goes, I think you got your answer. Right. And it was a marvelous experience to work with those great musicians in Harvey, and he sure. sold about 
25,000 records on Earth, Wind & Fire sold 4 million. Right. Okay. Back then, right. All right. Sure. Uh, where we go from here looked like it was going to go on, but they pulled another song that David and, and Bill Chaplin and uh, Jay Graydon wrote called After the Love is Gone. Right. And it wasn't going to go on because they were fighting for publishing. Right. And they told Reese they didn't want to give up any of the publishing mm -hmm. they had. Mm -hmm. And he finally went, it's so good, I, I got to give it up. That bumped my song. Right. So at one point I had three songs, then right. I got down to what I learned right. a valuable lesson. Right. So, right. And then shortly after that I realized I think I could make a living in, mm -hmm. in, in LA, you know, come up. Came with that. Right. And then tell us, what does an arranger do? Because I think people may hear these kinds of words, but it's not something that's intuitive if you're not in the business. Mm -hmm. um, if you write a song and it's on guitar, but you want to have a whole bunch of people um, play it with a larger sound, mm. you're going to get an arranger to help you with that. Right. You're going to have him write parts for other musicians. Uh, he might do a vocal arrangement and help you with background vocals. Um, if it's, it's a larger production, then it would include uh, not just initially in the old days, it was you would you would cut live with a room section. Right. Now everything kind of goes, uh, a lot of things go uh, through computer. Okay. Right. But in those days, uh, you'd cut with a rhythm section and do overdubs and bring in other musicians. You might add horns or strings. All those things would be done generally um, if a person didn't do it himself, he would have to hire other people to do it. Those are right. that's what an arranger's job is to enhance the quality of the sound and the song. Before we get to somebody like Madonna, tell us a story of maybe one or two of the artists you work with, with that were amazing, and a couple where you're like, oh my gosh, this was so difficult. Where you can say, um, you know what? Nobody was really terribly difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, um, as 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 it went on, and I got more and more success. Um, they need you. They're not, I mean, they could throw it away and then they just right. wasted $10,000 for right. a large string date or something else, but that never happened. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that was good. Uh, this is my guidepost for, for arranging. Okay. Okay? Uh, David Foster is one of the most talented people I've ever met in my life. Absolutely. And he's got his detractors, but you know what? Whatever he puts out, uh, he's generally right. Right. And he was a mentor to me. Mm -hmm. He was the one that said, you don't, don't be stupid, put this on this record. Right. Uh, and he was blown up as a producer at that very moment. And he couldn't go out on tour with Boss Skaggs. Right. And, and uh, uh, Boss had gone through some trouble, gone through a divorce, and he kind of hit a low. But this was after he'd had Silk Degrees, which was record of the year. Right. So it had been almost a year and a half. And he was going out with the guys from Toto that were working on their first record. Right. The greatest pop drummer I've ever worked with, hands down, is Jeff Beccaro. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay incredible feel okay it's going to lead to you the story here that, that explains my my arranging experience and how it changed because of him right. so we went out i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you another story um my father when i was nine mm -hmm. said hey let's go get a milkshake and he took me out um and we went to a hospital and i'm like oh, I, I i put the lights in here right and i'm thinking they make good milkshakes <laughs> right he brought me upstairs and he showed me somebody going through a heroin withdrawal mm. before i was ever a musician right and he just said hey look it's going to take you this far and either you're going to die from it or you have to go through that right that messed me up mm. and I haven't done drugs. Right, right. And so here I'm out with Boss Gags, and they're giving me my per diem. Right. Okay. And, and a big white packet. Exactly. And I look at him and I go, uh, can I trade that in for sure. more money? Exactly. Because I don't Because the guy said to me, right. that's worth more that's than what allotment. I just gave the 700 I gave you for per diem. Right, right. And and then my nickname, apparently, with some of them was Snow White. Right, was, right. Because... Okay, but I'm at like a 24, and sure. I'm like, you know, or whatever. I mean, I'm, um, anyhow. So Jeff. Uh, I had Jeff's number, and we were, mm -hmm. I put a band together, and it was a good band. They were all Vinnie Kalayuda on drums, wow. Neil Steubenhaus on bass, Carlos Rios on guitar, mm. and a very talented singer that I co-wrote material with, and we both sang. Right. Um, his name was Guy Thomas. And as we did our demo, at the last day before we went in at Ocean Way, who right. Alan Sides has always been a mentor of mine who owned that studio, mm -hmm. gave us time there, but we had spent $1,000 to go track over the weekend. Right. And... Then he got called by Frank Zappa. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> no. I mean, he's played with yeah, everybody. Yeah, sure, okay? right. And we don't have our drummer. Just like so, that. So I called Jeff. I had that number, and Neil was also friends with him. He mentioned it also. Can right. he track with us for that stuff? Mm -hmm. And he came out. And right. I said, well, listen, we'll pay in. We'll get a paper card. He said, fuck you. <laughs> 
which I didn't know if he was mad at me. <laughs> right, or saying, that's just what know, he says. He just was going to do it for free to right. help us. Right. And I remember we got to a song, and it was a ballad, a really good ballad called Woman. And guy was in the booth with the lyrics and everything. Right. He looks at me, and I give him a drum chart. He goes, where's the lyrics? And I said, well, they're, they're in the booth uh, with Guy. You want it? And he goes, yeah. So I can't get them, and I bring them back, and I go, I'm just curious. Uh, right. Why do you want the lyrics? i got to give you a drum sheet. Right. Don't you get it? It's all about the fucking lyrics. Mm -hmm. If you want to be an arranger, right. you honor those lyrics. Mm. That stayed with me the rest of my life. That changed everything. Do you feel when you bring big orchestrations, and obviously Papa Don't Preach is a perfect example of that, mm -hmm. to a song, it really elevates its ability to become a hit? It's almost, I wouldn't say a key element, but one of those that if it's left out, it could be a mistake. Think of it more like a, um, a top basketball team or, or even a football team. It's got to be mixed right. right. It's got to be written right. It can't be too long. It's got to have a hook. Right. Okay. The, the performances have to be terrific. The vocal has to you know, be evocative. And then everything that's done behind it has to support it. So there's a lot of elements right. Right. You know, to it. Here we are with Bill Myers, just looking at what he calls his wall of shame. I really think it's a wall of fame, but it's just some amazing hits. And um, just uh, right off the bat, you've got... These are nice. They're nice furniture. You know, I mean, it just, it's, it's, it, no, it, they're great to have. And to be honest with you, there was a time where they gave them to us. Right. And I probably have about maybe 10 or 12 that I just, I don't want to pay for. I, I played on the soundtrack to... Um, um, God, was it the, the dancer, yes, mm -hmm. and and what was the dancing movie that uh, Maniac mm, uh, right. was in? Uh, Flashdance. Yes, Flashdance. Yes. Yeah, you know, and they're hard to chase down now. They're incredibly expensive, right. and and they, the record companies it just shows you how much things have changed. They used right. to actually just give them. Be so us, happy you know? what you had done for that. So this is one of the most talented guys I ever uh, worked with. He he could do it all. Um, uh, he, he loved his weed. <laughs> Let's put it that way, okay? Um, Whitney, I, I had uh, a couple interesting experiences. I worked on two records of hers. Um, and at the time, I think she showed up with her girlfriend. And um, this was pretty early into it. You know, this is like, I'm your baby tonight. And I, I worked on Horns, uh, another song called I'm Knocking. Um, and then I, I worked with her many years later. And she's down here somewhere. Uh, yeah, um, toward the end, uh, and uh, you know, much more uh, used to the business. Kind of similar, you know, Ariana, same thing. You know, like right. man, you can just tell she's refined now. She's mm -hmm. been through everything. Becoming more sophisticated. You know, so it was, it was a real thrill to work work it with her. You know, um, this is the first record I got uh, a, a gold or platinum record for, and that. That's uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, an incredible right. band, and I learned so much from them, and my mentor was Maurice White, and we worked together and have been friends for over 35 years. Right. Uh, this is the one my mom loves the most. I worked sure. on Ostracize. Gotta make mom proud. So. Unbelievable. Everybody looked That's like a Disney sense. character, right. too, when right. I worked sure. there. You know? Exactly, that was a requirement. And they said to me, oh, you know, this is just a little exercise record. That sure. thing sold for 10 years. Wow. I worked for yeah. next to nothing. Hey, right, okay. right. Um, exactly. Madonna, mm -hmm. uh, my first number one string uh, uh, song was Papa Don't Preach. Mm -hmm. And uh, she let me work on three of her number ones. Yeah. And I toured with her and did Live Aid and um, Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jackson, it was the last record he worked on. Sure. Well, and I, I got a last second call on that one. Mm. But I'm, I'm thrilled that I was able to do it. Sure. Um, Ray's, I, I, I wrote some interludes. I, I wrote the horns to Let's Groove. That was my first number one. What were some of your takeaways in, in working? Because, I mean, here are two musicians that, as you were saying, were at the peak of their career. Yeah, yeah. And so musical in terms of... Yeah, well, they all had... You could see why they were successful. Mm -hmm. You would get into completely different styles, and and amazing. It just yeah. uh, um, here's another wonderful person, man, mm -hmm. and just smart as a whip. And I got to work on a couple cuts on this record. Right. And who's the artist that did yeah. that one? Uh, Justin Timberlake. Right, sure. Uh, his justified record, um, the Crimea River. Uh, right. Uh, on that one. Mm -hmm. um, that was his biggest hit. Uh, I worked on the soundtrack to Life, and I, I got to, to work with the um, strange and crazy, um, oh, um, 
I believe I can fly. What's his right. name? Sure, R. Kelly. R. Kelly. Yeah. Uh, he didn't know what he wanted. Sure. And uh, I worked on it with a couple of artists for him. Right. I remember on a phone conversation, I was asking him a couple of questions, and I guess he had, he wouldn't talk to me. He had somebody right. speak to me. Right. And then they would say, well, if you've got to ask too many questions, then maybe you don't know what you're doing. Sure. That's what said. Well, truly, actually, I do. Sure. I, can, I can help. Yeah. And that was a good point that you had raised, that sometimes the artists may not realize that the team that's been surrounding them is not a bunch of amateurs, no. even though they may not realize the level that they've risen to. And he was working in Chicago, because he's mm -hmm. from Chicago. And I will right. tell you a funny story there. Um, I knew an engineer. They were at CRC, Chicago Recording Company. Right. And I got he got on the phone, because I said, hey, you're going to send me the files. And Great to talk with you. And I said, how's it going with him? Because he's an imbecile. Right. He said that he walks around with a camera following him everywhere. And we were doing a string quartet on something. And they asked him to say something. And he went to the booth and he said, get the big guitar player. That was the cellist. <laughs> right. He says, to play louder. Get the big guitar. Get the big guitar to play louder. So. Okay, right. So there's. Genius. Genius. Right. Yeah. Sometimes too smart for their own good. Uh, Brian is, is a good friend and, and, and uh, one of the most talented people I know. Back at one was his biggest hit. And right. I did the orchestra on that. Mm. Um, Ariana, um, uh, Babyface got me on that, and I did two, three, three songs with Ariana Grande. Did strings, including the single uh, um, "Tattooed Heart." Right. He had discovered her, or because you mentioned Babyface. Yeah, I think so. They signed him. On this side, um, I don't know if you remember "Fly Like a Bird" Nelly Furtado. She was she was a joy to work with. Mm. It was really fun. Sure. So I worked on a couple cuts on that. And when you say something like that, though, what does that mean? Because it sounds like she was very funny, very hilarious. She was. She was just, just real cool. She wasn't full of herself. She was right. she was um, uh, enjoying the ride. Right. Enjoying and I think that's probably the biggest thing. She she might have one more hit. Sure. You know. But the the crew that worked with her were really talented. Mm -hmm. and just you know you know when you walk in you just get the vibe, you know. Yeah. Um, Kenny had a lot of success, Babyface. Sure. And I worked on For the Lover and You on that record. Sure. Uh, this was another band that he produced called As Yet. Sure. More Brian McKnight cuts. Uh, Quincy, I, I got, I, wow. you know what, you were either in Quincy's camp or you were in Maurice's camp. Mm. And some guys were lucky to do both. Right, right. I never quite got in Quincy's camp, but he appreciated my my skills. Right. And I, I, I've written about 120 songs that got recorded. Mm. And one of them uh, was on that original demo tape that I did. Right. And wow. he took he took two songs, but they only put one on, and it was called Heavenbound. Right, wow. Uh, and then years later, he called me when he was working with Donna Summers, which is somewhere around here. Sure. I think it's up there. Okay. Um, and, he, and this was kind of an interesting situation. Yeah. I met Donna, really nice lady, sure. but a little limited uh, with, with her musical experience. Mm -hmm. And he was looking for something. He said, Bill, I know you've got classical experience. Can you write something like Could It Be Magic that Barry wow. Manilow did, where you combine a classical piece wow. with... You know, with it, and I said, "Sure." Here's the problem: she wants to write on it with you. Okay. Oh well, we'll try it. Okay, fine. Sure. You know, so I brought Litz and I brought uh, Brahms and I brought all kinds of composers and I started playing little things. She goes, "I oh, forget that. We're just gonna jam." Right. How do you jam a classical piece, right? right? Sure. So okay, you know. So I remember I play a chord and she'd go, now I'm singing like a, a soprano, right. wow. now I'm right. singing like a man. Oh, and we wow. went like an, 45 minutes of this wow. and got nothing. And I went back to Q and said, I'm really sorry, I couldn't get anything, you know. Right. Because it's the same old crap. <laughs> Just wow. write what you want. Find me something. Sure. Wow. And so I kind of got an inspiration. I got to work with Richard Page from mm -hmm. Mr. Mister. Sure, sure. Great songwriter yeah, himself, yeah, okay? Wow. And so I came up with an idea that I took a Bach two-part invention and then wrote mm -hmm. a melody on top of it. Mm -hmm. And we called it The Mystery of Love, down right. through the ages, sure. you know? Mm -hmm. it, 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 it goes on and on. Right. And he loved it, so he cut it with her, okay? Oh, awesome. uh, I worked on Dick Tracy. I right. did a couple of songs, you know, that were in that style mm -hmm. with her. Right. Um, Neil Diamond, right. uh, Bobby Caldwell, who wrote uh, okay. um, What You Won't Do For Love. Mm -hmm. Incredible writer. We, we wrote about right. four or five things. Right. He, um, he was so, so cool. And he got that to, um, to Neil Diamond. Right. Wow. And when I was working on my album Images, Neil came in and said, I love, thank you for writing that great song. So really nice, genuine yeah, guy. Too. Okay. Um, I work with a rock group called the Bullet Boys. They were real nice. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, this is a funny one. Uh -huh. See up there? Sure. Uh -huh. In God We Trust. Uh -huh. I think it's Striper. <laughs> yeah. I swear to God, if you, if you watch um, uh, 
what's the uh, you know Spinal Tap? It, mm, it, it had tap, right. it had moments of that. Okay, yeah, that really nice kids. Right. And there was one leader in the band, and he his name is Michael, and he said, "Listen, um, yeah, I know you do sequencing. We want to sequence a track and be a little more modern." Yeah. But and his drummer you know, had the long blonde hair and the whole thing, hair sure. down to his ass, <laughs> and everybody. Well, I tracked with them. I played piano on this this sure. song. Mm -hmm. They were off the beat like okay. second measures. <laughs> Forget it. Okay. Yeah. Right. No then they said, "We've got this other song that we want you to do. Can you can you give us you know really interesting lush strings? You know, and it was a pretty simple song. I could right. yeah. got lazy perfect pitch and sure. I've got relative pitch, so it's pretty easy once you learn four song four chords. So I remember coming in there and playing it. I was putting parts on it, and right. adding extra tracks with the uh, one of the Fairlight." Uh, right. one of the, the sequencers of that mm -hmm. time and this was hilarious so I, I took a coffee break right. and I went out and as I was drinking my coffee um, the the drummer again oh, a really nice guy had a girl on each side and he's got he's got uh, you know cross uh, uh, medallion you know and the whole thing he comes in and he goes man that, that stuff you were doing was really really cool he says I don't know how you do it how did you learn our song so quickly you know three chords <laughs> I said well you know I, I heard it a few times and I, I kind of got a handle on it and he goes and, and those parts just sound so cool they sound like George Washington music <laughs> And I'm thinking, what, what the hell is he doing? And it dawned on me, that was the oldest guy he knew, and that right. was his interpretation of classical music. Wow. Yeah. You know, so a little levity yeah, there. But, um, so that's, that's some of it. There's a lot of Earth, Wind, Fire records, because right. I worked on about six, six of them. Right, right. Um, and yeah, I, there's ones I haven't, you know, I told you that I had done Flashdance, and I worked on Dreamgirls, and there's about, I don't know, another eight. Right. We're going to put them. Right. Sure. Um, what was it like to work with Madonna? Oh, I had a great time. Mm -hmm. I got a bunch of good stories sure. out of it, uh -huh. too, you know. Um, no, I admire her. Um, um, uh, that was a great experience. And I want you to know something. There's there's a couple other keyboard players that were friends of mine in Chicago, and they're both marvelous. Mm -hmm. One is Pat Leonard, who you no doubt might know. Mm -hmm. and Pat was leading that tour and asked me to be on it. Oh, wow. He had also worked with the Jacksons, and he's very uh, uh, prolific uh, and successful producer. Sure. And a piano player by the name of Randy Waldman, who worked with Streisand and played all the, right. the, the scores in movies and stuff like that. You know, we're all from the same city. Mm. So I caught, caught a break because he became music director after he'd done the uh, victory tour for, for, for uh, you know, for, for the Jacksons. Jacksons, right. And uh, so I remember going to the first rehearsal and um, she was nervous. I could see it. Right. And she usually performed to a, 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 a beatbox, you know, or, mm -hmm. or a tape where she sang over it or something. Right. Know? And I looked at her again. Now, by this point, I was like 30. Right. You know, and I'd already done some tours with, with Lou and him, and I uh, worked with Ricky Lee Jones for a minute, and I'd worked with uh, George Duke, I toured with him, I did right. a couple tours. So I look at her and I go like this, come over, she looks at me and I said, smile, man, have a good time, we're all right. on your team. Right, right. And I think that really broke the ice. Mm -hmm, okay. mm -hmm. Then she found out that I was, by the way, that was around 84 to 85, and that was like my best year. Everything broke out. Right. I mentioned to you earlier about my friend Paul Wilson, who mm -hmm. I met at, at, in, in Chicago at school at DePaul, he became a very incredibly successful jingle mm -hmm. uh, company. That's that's where you put music to commercials and right, right. fly me back. And in that year, he made me a, a quarter of a million dollar start offer, right. and I would make 50% of, of jingles that, that were successful, and, mm -hmm. and I could sing on them, and I could perform. And that was the very year everything else broke for me. Mm -hmm. um, leading up to that, uh, I, I continued my relationship with Maurice White, and he started letting me arrange. And my first number one was uh, Let's Groove. I did the horns on Let's Groove, right, right, okay? right. which is a tricky assignment, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it came out great. Um, and uh, and then here I'm meeting Madonna, and she's the newest thing. Right. I mean, everybody's covering her. Right. Okay. While that's going on, Maurice has called me back, and we end up doing the my first score, which was. Um, uh, Armed and Dangerous, right. the John Candy movie. Right, right. Okay, I get approached by Alan Sides. They want to form a, a direct-to-disc company, and they want to make a demo tape, and they want to give me a whole side with a full orchestra. Mm -hmm. Well, that turned into my Images record, right. and I got Grammy nominated for that. How can I go home now? <laughs> right? I couldn't do it. As in home to what Chicago. A year. What a year. Right. Okay. 
So we finally started touring. I'll tell you another funny <laughs> story is that she mm -hmm. found out that I was, you know, having success as an arranger and things like that. Right. And so she says to me, uh, can I come over because I'm, and she worked harder than anybody I knew. Right. And she, she being Madonna, voice. I just want to put that in there. She was Madonna with that great personality and right. a good songwriter. She could find a hook. Right. Like nobody. Mm. Okay. Um, didn't have a great voice, but I always thought, well, she's moving so much. <laughs> I'd see her in the studio, so I was saying, right, you so know, she's not the greatest singer, okay, right, but, but sure. she she worked so hard, she got the most out of everything she had. Mm -hmm. I admire her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when she was there, she she was brash, you know, mm -hmm. so I was getting keys for these songs that she was going to work on with her. And we got up, and I was sharing the house with a couple of friends who had their own gold records, so it looked like right. I had a thousand records, and I didn't. Right. <laughs> and she says to me, you know, you're the only man in the band. <laughs> And I said, well, thank you. You know, she says, they're all boys. She says, if you ask me, I will say no. Exactly. But I learned about Madonna's. If you're too nice to her, mm -hmm. you're going to get steamrolled. Right, right. You've okay. got to be able to so I have kinda, a backbone. Yeah, you're just a bad boy. I mean, I've right. got the angel on one side, <laughs> exactly. the devil on the other. So I look at her and I go, well, uh, thanks, uh, but, you know, I kind of like to lead when I dance. Right. <laughs> and I let that sit. And she went, well, don't wait too long. <laughs> Don't wait too long. Right. And she, then she swore at me, and she started to leave, and I right. and I ran to her, and I just right. I was just joking with sure. her. Yeah, maybe right. sometime we could, you know, go out. Right. And what happened the next day? Well, a week later. Next week. Okay. Looks well, we were doing rehearsals. She had a terrible night. Right. Her her uh, choreographer uh, abandoned her for Wham, mm -hmm. and we had a great guitar player, uh, David Williams, who played all the guitar work for Quincy, like Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Just, right. But he, he's late to his own funeral, you know, always late. Okay. And right. he showed up 45 minutes late. She fired him, so she was crying in a corner. And I came over right. to her and I just said, hey, I know it's been a rough night. How about going out for a cup of coffee? She goes, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> well, how about some tea? Okay. And she wiped her eyes. And right. She said, well, that's really nice of you. And look, can I do it another time? And I said, sure. Yeah, right. okay. And she met Sean Penn two days later. Right. And it's okay so for me because I actually did get through a tour because I think right. after a while, I, you just can't go up against all fire, that nice. energy and right. stuff all exactly. the time. Sure. But she'd heard my images record mm -hmm. and I was using 26-piece string section. Right. And I'd already did, oh, the other thing I'd done before Papa Don't Preach was uh, Miss You Like Crazy for for um, Natalie Cole. Right. And that went number one. Yes. So... She got me to do Papa Don't Preach, Live to Tell, and Oh Father. So I had three right. number ones with her. Right, which is incredible. She treated me great. Sure. Brian McKnight. Oh, oh we did Live Aid. Right. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes. We did Live Aid, and that was pretty amazing, too. Okay. Um, when you're on that large of a stage and giving back to the community at that type of level, how does it feel just in terms of the, some of that exhilaration that's personal as opposed to it just being about a paycheck? Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It really is. I mean, the road gets tiring. There's no doubt about right. it. I always say to my friends, if I never eat a honey roasted peanut again in my life, right. it's too soon. You know, we'll right. never, you know, all those flights with the stupid, you know. Um, but, um, and it takes its toll. And I toured off and on for 10 years, and that was enough. Right. You know, that was that was fine. Um, but it it's exhilarating, especially when you're working with such high. Right. I'll tell you a Jeff Picaro's story. Yeah. Um, so Boz was coming back to San Francisco, and mm -hmm. he'd been divorced. Right. And there was a song, because he was not only touring off of the success of, of the Grammy Award a year and a year and a half before, but he had a new record coming out called a Mid a Middleman. Mm -hmm. And there was a, that, or it was called Down Toot and To the Left. That's what it was. But Middleman was the opening song. It was an mm -hmm. odd one because it started out like da -ba -da -ba -da -da -da, on a guitar. I'm playing the piano. Sure, to that of course, when right. I come in. Now it was an all-star lineup. Sure. You've got Jeff uh, Picaro. You've got Steve Lukather. You have, um, um, oh God, um, uh, Lenny Castro. Three of the best background singers. You know, um, the, the band was stellar. Smoking. Just smoking. But this night. Uh, for some reason, Boz wanted to start the song off, and he, he looked like he'd probably drunk and you know, his buzz. <laughs> exactly, okay. of course. And so he goes, uh, we're going to do my song, Middleman. <laughs> and he starts, jabba da ba da da well, He's up here. Right. jabba da ba i got to go with him now. Bum, 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 bum. I look at Jeff, and he's like, mad. He's mad. Right. And we're, ba ba da ba da 
the first time he said it, I, I had a cornet go bop, bop, like a right. blowing his horn. Mm -hmm. The second time, I took the strings like they were rising mm -hmm. wind. Right, right. Okay? Interesting. And mm -hmm. by the time you get to the end of it, and it had sort of almost a New Orleans kind of lilt to it. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. a bit of a drone. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I realized at the end, I wanted that to kind of swing. I had a couple of great friends from New Orleans. I spent a lot of time there. But, I, but he wanted orchestra, too. Right. And so I had instruments kind of grooving to that at the bottom, and then mm -hmm. I had instruments in the middle that played with no vibrato. Right, just hold it. Holding, right. okay, woodwinds and stuff. And then I imagined that the chariots were up in a cloud right. above us. Mm -hmm. And then I had a repeating triplet line. And you hear that come in, too. Mm -hmm. Now, most people probably wouldn't have gotten that at all. Sure. But right. I'm surprised that some people come to me and they say, was that? Did it have something to do with the chance? Yeah, that right. did. That's when you know you've done your job well. Right. You've enhanced the song and mm. you didn't step on it. Right. You didn't right. do something corny, you know, to, to smash it. Sure. So, yeah. Okay. We'll go to somebody contemporary, Ariana Grande. Okay. And working with her. I didn't get to meet, well, you know what? Mm -hmm. I did sort of meet her. Mm. Um, and she was young. So, when you're that young, right. you're gonna, you know. I mean, here, I work with Babyface on, for God, almost 10 years mm -hmm. on a bunch of good stuff. Right. I worked with him on Michael Jackson and his own record, uh, um, For the Lover and You, and I worked with him on Whitney Houston on two records. And right. I worked with him, you know, just a number of different things. And he wasn't there, and his, his uh, engineer, Paul Bouton, is superb, he's a really good guy too, nice guy. Right. And he was giving her instruction, and I, like I said, I didn't get to meet her, because I was picking the chart up. Right. But she was saying, well, maybe, maybe I think it's better. Maybe I don't want to do it. Maybe I, right. you know, it's like, oh, God, she's going to learn. Right. You know, he was dead on, too. She was right. flat in that passage right. and stuff. Sure. And, and I, I've seen her, you know, as she's grown and matured, and I'm sure she would probably be saddened by, you know, thinking that she might have acted that way. To, right. These are people that are right. they know what they're doing. their game, you know. Right. But, um, so, yeah, for that, they hired me to do strings on Tattooed Heart. Right. And then I did... Uh, I think it's called Honeymoon Highway. Mm -hmm. And then there was a great Christmas song that year, and they had me uh, play on it and do, do strings on that. So I, I was early in her career. Right, I right. think the, the, the group that was producing and whatever, and that, that's what tends to happen too. Right. If you're with one group, you're getting work from Maurice, you're getting work right. from Babyface, David hired me sometimes, you know, stuff like right. that. And then if it goes to another whole group of producers, right. then you're, you're in their camp. You move on. You know, Brian was kind to me. I got to produce mm -hmm. two records with him. Um, and, and both were Christmas records, okay? So, um, but, and, and the first time I worked with him as a producer, right. um, we did a take on Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, and he was a huge Nat King Cole fan, right? and he started that song with an interview with Nat's wife, wow. and then he sang it just like Nat, mm. and it was chilling how good it was. Right. Okay, so here I'm in the booth, and I had, had sequenced uh, piano, and uh, I have someone who I work with who's a tremendous musician and friend of mine. Um, his name is Jimmy Randolph, and Jimmy had done the bass and some drum, drum parts, right. which is always, and I want to tell people, uh, anybody's thinking about arranging and stuff, it's much better to have different energies. Uh, if you do all the parts, everything tends to kind of line up in the same sort of way. There's right. magic in other people contributing to tracks. You know? putting that part in. And so um, here I am finally doing his vocal. Right. And um, he came in and he just nailed it. It was just brilliant. And I said, man, that, that is phenomenal. I think you rushed one line. Let's just pick up one thing. And everybody got nervous because <laughs> I hadn't right. produced with him. Right. Okay. In fact, the first time I worked with him, it was as, as yet he'd written the track and it was right. Babyface's track. And he was right. laughing and I thought, doing a string quartet what's he laughing at he right. must hate this shit you sure. know, I, come to, I said can I change anything and he goes no I said well I saw you laughing and he said yeah. I just I was astounded at how good it was right okay. wow so he came in he was mad he goes where is it I said, I said there so I'm going to do the whole thing over he did two more takes it wasn't right. close that was the yeah. take and who cared right how about that little part so that was his thing he he had to do Frank's not he wanted it from front to end right All and what was brilliant about that record and very touching for me. I told you how, how much my, and about I don't want to 
keep my mom out of this. I was born on her birthday. <laughs> so she was inside my head. She got All to do questions and know what mischief I was up to. You right. know, wonderful lady, too. But my, my pop passed from mesothelioma, mm. and he was suffering from it at the time. And I thought he had pneumonia and that he'd, he'd get through that and he'd have another year. Mm-hmm. And I had to break up after um, I'd done his vocal. And we added a harmonica solo, and Stevie was supposed to do it. And I've had three supposed Stevie sightings, and he's never showed up. Right, I never right. had to work with him. Sure. Um, and I've heard a lot of people say that. Um, so we brought in this guy, Katalik Olsted, from, from, he's from Sweden. Wow. Marvelous singer, writer, and harmonica player. Mm-hmm. And he nailed it on the first take. Right. Just played beautifully. So we got Brian on a first take. We've got sequence tracks. We've got a harmonica solo on the first take, and now we're going to do strings, woodwinds. To, to so we had to put the date off because my dad died. I came back, and I, I was and he was a huge Sinatra and Nat King Cole fan too. Mm-hmm. And here I am in Capitol, and I just feel terrible, and I'm, I'm low. And everybody knows that my dad had, had passed. And right. um, another person I want to mention, and this is another thing that makes you look good, is I have somebody I work with all the time that does my contracting, does my copying helps me at times uh, make suggestions on arranging and stuff. Her name is Susie Katayama. Sure. She's got an incredible, you, you ought to interview her. Sure. She's worked sure. with everybody. Right. Okay. Uh, and so as I walked in, you know, like I said, I was really feeling terrible. And I looked up and there's a picture of Nat King Cole mm-hmm. singing in the very studio we're about to go. Wow. And remember, my dad loved him. Right, right. And I got on the stand and everybody was offering condolences and I said thank you I said do me a favor um, uh, put as much feeling into this as you can okay wow one take got it so that record was all one take mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean that that particular song you know so in what way and I think you've somewhat captured it with this last set of uh, stories but um, has music really been healing for you going through something like that with your dad's death but just also in getting over that I was the rambunctious kid that had too much energy so from the beginning all the way through you know uh, the passing it's of your father it hurt. Mm-hmm. It hurt. Mm-hmm. and I wrote a piece that's on my website mm-hmm. that I'm really proud of um, in fact it got me a shot at, at doing uh, the memoriam for the Emmys one year Mm-hmm. And it's it's a piece called um, uh, Passing Memories. Mm-hmm. And I put on the on there, uh, it's three phases that a person goes through when they lose a loved one. Right. And phase one is the anxiety and fear and the moment of death. And then the second passage is like the main grief theme, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the loss. Right. And then I bridge to the final one which starts out with just myself playing acoustic piano mm-hmm. and it's the fond memories that replace um, and, 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 and lessen the pain yeah. okay so it's in three stages mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of people have responded positively to it you know yeah. and uh, so yeah that was cathartic mm-hmm. That. Mm-hmm. you know that that was uh, and and, and, and and that's the beautiful thing about music. You can express love for someone. Uh, <laughs> I had I had a girlfriend who who uh, had dumped me unceremoniously. And okay. I, there, were, there were a few hate songs in, in, in sure. I did a record called The Color of the Truth. <laughs> there were a couple of those, right, you know. Right, sure. um, perfect crime. <laughs> you know, okay, sure. break a heart and just walk away. Sure. You know? uh, so it you know. You, you, what you don't want to do, I think, sometimes is get too. Uh, how can I say this? Uh, too consistently mean? introspective mm-hmm. and like every mm-hmm. part of my life so important. No, right. let, why not find things that you can connect with other people to? Mm-hmm. You know? um, that takes us to our last question: music and medicine is the name of the show. To what extent do you feel that your music has has been um, like medicine or has served in that way? Toward me? Whether it's towards you or the people that you hope to project it to. Uh, I can tell you in in moments that I feel bad sometimes, uh, I'll go back and listen to some of the things that I think we really did well on and accomplished. And that feels good. Um, My youngest son has the gift if he really wants to you know, follow it. Mm-hmm. He's he's heavily addicted to video games, and he's sure, really good at it. He's right, really right. bright. Okay, mm-hmm. my my oldest is going to get in sales, but but he and he said to me, he said, "Man, if I can't make the video thing happen, sure. I want to I want to follow you in music." You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so hopefully it 
might serve as a little bit of an inspiration for him too. Sure. And, it, and it's always touching when people uh, let me know that they appreciate my work. You know, so it's sure. been, how could that be anything but, sure. but cathartic, right? Sure. You know? Sure. Um, so uh, I, mean, I chose the right career. Sure. And I'm not done. I'm, I'm, I'm an old fart, sure. but uh, I, I have stuff I have to accomplish. Sure. And shameless plugs here. Tell us about your website, where we can find out more about what you're it's, doing. It's simple. Some of the stuff to I, come. I, I had to think hard on this. Sure. Uh, Bill Myers Music. <laughs> okay. Dot com. Uh, M E Y E R S. It's Myers. Absolutely. So sure. There's all kinds of examples of different stuff that I've got on there. Um, but um, uh, I think the best thing I can say is I have extreme passion for a couple of new projects that I want to get. Mm -hmm. And I, I met someone in the 90s who's become a great friend. And he's a tremendous producer. And now he heads, uh, I think he's VP at, at Sony Latin, his name mm -hmm. is Ario Bacchiero. Mm -hmm. And Ario at one point started going into live production. But first I worked for him uh, with a couple of people, Alejandro Fernandez and a group called Sin Bandera. And I did string arrangements and things for him. And he hired me for both the Pan American Games, right. where I did the opening and closing ceremony music. Right. Then the Central American Games, they're the ones that the United States doesn't get invited. Right. There's a few medals left. Exactly. Exactly. And, then, and then the 150th anniversary, I wrote a ballet for that, mm -hmm. and, and fireworks music right. for Cinco de Mayo. Right. Okay? Right. My ambition, and I, shit, I may never happen, but I want to be writing music for the Olympics, Olympics. in 28. Sure. For, for, for LA. That'd I want to have some, some hand in that. Sure. So that's one of my, my things. And I want to do tribute to my, my friend and, and mentor, Maurice White. Sure. So those are a couple. Sure, sure. You know. Absolutely. Well, this has been delightful, right. and uh, I appreciate you feeling comfortable to kind of go all the way back and I'm get into some of the stories. Right. It's me. hard to pull it, it out of you. It's hard to get anything out. But you, you, you cooperated pretty well. <laughs> sure. Thanks. Right, Thank a you. A pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.